All right. Thank you, uh, Sebastian, for that prayer. That's a really important reminder of why we gather here together as a church and, um, and worshiping God and gathering together as a church. I'm reminded of one of the first scriptures that I ever memorized, really, as an adult um, from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 24 and 25. And uh, the writer of Hebrews says in that verse, he says, um, let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as a church, as some are in the habit of doing, but let, it, let us spur one another. Let us on to love and good deeds, all the more as we see the day of Christ's return approaching. And so when you're here, when we're gathered together, <laughs> um, I thought someone was smiling at me. Uh, when we're gathered together, it's so important that we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Amen? Amen. Okay. Uh, we're in a series, as you guys know, called Life. And we're going through the book of First John. Sorry about that. They can't see that on the video. <laughs> we're on the series of Life. We're just off to a great start, right? I think we need to just pray right now. You know, let's just pray. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, Lord, uh, it's just great to be here as a church. And, uh, you know, when the church is a family, we are, uh, we can just have these impromptu moments of being real with one another. And yet right now, uh, we know that you are real and uh, we want to acknowledge you as real in our life. And the word of God is going to do a real work, a sanctifying work. Uh, we pray that if you believe that church, I want you to pray and say, Lord, do a sanctifying work in my life. Let's say that together. Lord, do a sanctifying work in my life for real. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's start over. Um, we're in a series right now called Life, which is uh, through the book of First, Second, and Third John. And the primary question that we've been asking has been the question that uh, why First John has been written, which he says in First John chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I've written these things to you for those of you who believe in the Son of God, that you may have the assurance of eternal life. And that is the central question that we've been asking through every one of these messages as we've gone through First John so far. What are the assurances that my profession of faith in Jesus Christ is real? How do I know that my profession of faith has actually led to the eternal life of Jesus Christ being a reality in my life? I mean, I can say a prayer, I can have certain beliefs, but how, how do I really know? What are the evidences that I truly have the eternal life of Christ in me? And so that is why First John is written. And we've been going through uh, his epistle, and we've been talking about uh, really six uh, five or six main tests, main assurances that John has been giving to us. And just to recap where we've been so far, uh, the Apostle John has been talking to us thus far about the assurance of knowing that we recognize that we are sinners at our hearts and we confess our need for the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Is that your belief? That is an assurance that his eternal life has come to live inside of you. A second thing we've been looking at through First John, is that do we find ourselves wanting to voluntarily obey the commands of Jesus? Volitionally saying, I'm doing it not because I need to do it to be saved. I'm not doing it because just out of ritual. 
I actually want to believe in Jesus. I want to believe in his, I want to follow because there is life. Third, do I find myself uh, being drawn to want to love God, to love Jesus, and also to love other believers of whom Jesus lives in? Do we find ourselves wanting to be in community with the church, wanting to love God and wanting to love Jesus? Number four, John has been talking about, um, do we find ourselves more in love with God than we are in love with the idols of worshiping the world, worshiping the idols of the world? And um, number five, we've been looking at how John has been talking about how do we abide in God's word while at the same time recognizing that the world is full of false teachers and antichrists? And do we abide in God's word and are we committed to that in that world? And number six that we've been talking about through First John is do we look at our spiritual walk and are we more committed to righteousness in our walk, then we are committed to lawless sin in our, in our walks. These are the assurances, the six assur- primary assurances that John has been giving to us in his epistle. And today, in our pa- next passage in this epistle, we're going to be circling back around and take another look at our commitment to God's world, in a, a God's word, in a world of false teaching antichrists. We're going to take another look at that because that's what our passage talks about, about our commitment to um, discernment, to discerning what is right versus wrong, what is the truth versus the lie, what is good versus evil, our discernment, that's what discernment is, amidst a world that wants to lead us astray in its belief systems. So that's what we're going to be looking at, the importance of biblical discernment today. Uh, You will not find discernment in the world. You cannot develop spiritual discernment through the ways of the world. What the world offers you is opinions. Uh, We can get our opinions on what people think through Twitter and Reddit. We get the opinions of the world. We can get from the world knowledge. We can look something up on Wikipedia and find out what something is, what people have written about it. We can get, um, we can become cultural aficionados, right, through Instagram and TikTok, know, know what's going on in culture. That's what the world can offer you. It can offer you opinions. It can offer you knowledge of just the events or what's happening in our world. And you can become a kind of a person who's up to date on trends in culture. But the world cannot offer you biblical discernment. Biblical discernment can only be found in the church and through the word of God. And that's part of the reason why you should be here, as Sebastian was praying. is because when you're here, when you're hearing the word of God, when you're studying the word of God, when you're in community with discerning other Christians, you develop the ability to discern what is the truth versus the lie, right versus wrong, and good versus evil. And that is only found in the church and through the word of God. If you're just interested in opinions, knowledge, and becoming a cultural aficionado, you don't need to be at church. But we know better here, right? This topic is very important, discernment. Because going forward in our post-Christian environment, going forward in a world that is rejecting Christianity, that's rejecting the church, 
what you're going to find is you're going to find Christians that um, are very loving. You know, they say, hey, you know, we're all about love. Okay, love is not a bad thing. Love is a very good thing. You're going to find Christians really committed to wanting to learn to love other people. You're also going to find other Christians that say, hey, we need to be committed to a cause. You know, some political cause, some social justice cause out there. You're going to find Christians that are, like, committed to a cause. You're going to find Christians that, that you'll interact with and say, hey, man, you know what, Jesus, he really changed my life. You know, I was face down in the gutter, and Jesus gave my life to Jesus. He lifted me up, and my whole life has changed. And, hey, those, that's a great thing, too, right? Change lives. But what you will find in the 21st century church, unfortunately, is you'll find many Christians that want to be loving, many Christians that have a testimony of how Jesus has changed their life. That's a good thing. You'll find other Christians that kind of are like modern-day zealots in the church that lead us to say, hey, the church should be about rectifying this social cause, which uh, cannot be a good thing. Depends on what that is. But what you will find in the future in many churches is that they will not lift up the importance of discernment. Do you want to be a discerning Christian? Or do you just want to be a loving Christian who has a testimony of life change and who wants to see the world uh, become a better place, as however that's defined? Discernment is crucial to spiritual growth. Without discernment, you will not grow as a Christian. Without discernment, you'll be led astray by every manner of false teaching and, and false teachers. There is no way to Christian maturity unless you grow in biblical discernment. There's no two ways about it. Before we get into our passage this morning, I want to share with you three stories, three brief reflections that I've been thinking about um, discernment recently. You know, we're real big at this church on hearing the word and doing the word, right? Um, James chapter one. And so one of the questions that I've been asking myself throughout this entire series of life and 1 John has been, how has what I've been learning from 1 John changed me? How has it been changing me to love one another? We've been looking at that. How has it been changing me to confess my sins? We've been looking at that. How has the topic of discernment changed me? Okay, and before we get into the passage, let me, again, share just a few brief reflections. Um, I, I, was, I was on Twitter a couple weeks ago, and someone that I know, a, a relative of mine, um, he, he was at a conference. And I, I know what conference this is. This conference has been around for at least 20 years that I've known about. And I knew what kind of conference. Actually, I knew the organizer of this conference. I met the organizer of this conference like 20 years ago. I was in a small group with him. Um, I didn't really know who he was at the time, but I know who he is now. And uh, so he, he kind of organized this thing, and I knew exactly what this conference was about. I knew exactly who these speakers were. Okay, they write books, they speak a lot of places, but they're completely false. Completely false. Uh, I've, I've known about these people for about 20 years, right? And um, so I saw him and I just DM'd him. And I said, hey, you know what? Um, because he, he, he said this quote that was coming from the conference. And the quote went like this. It said, one of the speakers at this conference he's at said this. What if the future was less about right 
and wrong, or the truth versus the lie, and more about who wants to come together to just solve problems. Let me say that again. One of the speakers at the conference was saying, what if the future was less about doctrinally what's true and false, and more about, look, we have all these problems in this world. Who wants to just come together to solve homelessness, poverty, the environment, you know, oppression? And maybe that's more important than discerning what is the truth versus the lie. And so he wrote this quote on Twitter, and I just DM'd him, and I go, you know, um, I, I have to tell you that the, the conference that you're at is false. I told him that. These speakers, I know about these people for 20 years. What they do is they question the church, they question God's word, then they do it under the umbrella of let's just be loving to one another and to anyone, anywhere. And then once they get you to believe that, hey, it's just about love, it's just about changed lives, it's not about discerning what's the truth versus the lie, then they get you into that and then they pull the rug out from under you biblically. And all of a sudden you're in this false movement. And he just said, oh, thanks for letting me know, but I think he kind of just blew me off. But discernment. This guy travels all around the country to go to these conferences. He's lacking discernment. Second story. Um, as you guys know, uh, there was a, we were out in haunted little Tokyo recently in this area, and we went on a prayer walk in J-Town a couple Saturdays ago. And I had mentioned this before, but one of the organizers in an event at Haunted Little Tokyo does this um, Haunted Little Tokyo tour where he, he has people join him on Halloween Saturday or Halloween night. And he gives a tour of the folklore, the mythology, the, sto- the urban uh, stories of how Haunted Little Tokyo has been haunted for real. Uh, according to these eyewitness accounts of, you know, uh, paranormal sightings and so forth. And I've talked to him a couple times about this. And I said, you know, you're a professing believer. And you're holding up the occult as if it was simply some kind of folklore. Uh, this is not what Jesus would be doing. Would Jesus be leading an a tour that is talking about the occultic stories of an area? Did he go into the Decapolis area to go talk to the demoniac and say, hey, tell me about all, all the crazy things you've been doing, all 6,000 of you in this man? No, he casted out the demon. And uh, he, he texted me back and just said, you know what? Thank you for saying something, but I completely disagree with you. All right. I said, well, uh, thank you for listening. May the Lord's will be done. But it's a lack of discernment. Thirdly, uh, I was thinking the other day, because Lorraine and I were talking about our ministry in downtown Long Beach, and when we first came down there in 2004, not long after that, as you guys know, uh, we started this thing called the Long Beach Book Club. It was an outreach uh, to the city, and we did that for about five years, read a book once a month. We invited people all over the city. We met at coffee shops um, throughout the city, as well as uh, uh, art galleries. And uh, our church ran it. It was kind of outreach. And there's probably about, there's hundreds of people that came through the book club over the years. And uh, two of the women who came to the early book club, uh, a woman named Felicia and a woman named Lee came to the book club. You remember this, right? And 
uh, you know, and they're like, oh, this is so great. We love this book club. We love you guys and stuff. We actually had them over as well as some others when we were living in the apartment in Belmont Shore for our Friendsgiving. We had them come over uh, into our apartment. We hardly knew them, but we thought, you know, let's continue to try and meet people. And um, it was, I think, maybe at that Friendsgiving that uh, they were like, oh, you know, yeah, we know you guys are a church, but why don't you come check out our thing? And we're, we're, uh, I wasn't part of this conversation. I think it was like Lorraine and uh, this other guy, John, who was leader in our church. And they're like, yeah, we, we go out to this thing in, in Glendale and they hook you up to a machine. And they kind of tell, you know, your, the spiritual composition of your soul. It's like Scientology, right? And uh, I was telling Lorraine, You're not, we're not going to get hooked up to any machine. Okay, that's not happening. But one of the guys in our church, a guy named John, he, he, he's like, hey, you know what? Felicia and Lena are inviting me out to this place in Glendale. And I'm thinking that, this is John talking. He's like, I'm thinking that um, I should go. Because if I go, what I'll tell them is I'll go to your thing, get the full experience, if you will come to our church. And he's like, what do you think? That sounds like a really good idea. I was like, what do I think? I think that sounds like a really bad idea. That's a terrible idea, John. You, you, you shouldn't go in the direction of false teachers in order to get them to come to church. That's what Paul talks about over and over to Timothy and to Titus. He says, avoid false teachers. If they want to come and learn the word of God, that's different. But it's not a quid pro quo. That's error. That's a lack of discernment. So these things are very important, you guys. Um, So as we go into our passage now, um, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, let's all stand together for the reading of God's word. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, John gives us this encouragement and this warning. Verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Verse 4, little children, you are not from God and have already, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are not from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray together. Father, may your word teach us the spirit of truth versus the spirit of error now. So we may glorify you, avoid that which is unholy, and embrace that which is good. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Okay, so let's look at our passage here. In verse 1. The Apostle John says this, Beloved, he's speaking, when he says beloved there, remember, John is writing, he's maybe 85, 90 years old at this time. He's previously called them children, little children before. So John is really writing as an elder statesman in the faith. He's writing as a father in the faith in every way, in terms of age and Christian experience. And yet he says beloved, to show that he knows them. They're beloved in Christ as God's children, as part of the family of God, and he knows them as well. Beloved, do not believe 
every spirit. He says in verse 1. Let's stop there. John is reminding us at this point, when he says, do not believe every spirit, he's linking the connection between belief and spirituality. He is saying that what you believe, there is a spirit behind it. What you believe is not simply something that you're learning from a textbook. Beliefs change your mind. Beliefs change your spirit. Why? Because when it comes to spirit, the spiritual realm and spiritual beliefs, they are called spiritual beliefs because there's spirits behind them, either good or bad. So he says, do not believe every spirit. Um, this is why in Genesis 3, Satan attacked Eve's mind. And he said, did God really say that? Does he really not want you to eat the fruit? God's not. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He just doesn't want you to do that because you'll become like God. God doesn't want that. There was a connection between what Satan was teaching in terms of beliefs and the spirituality of the evil spirituality of who he was. There's a connection between beliefs and spirits. This is why Paul said in 1 Timothy, he said that in the end times, people will believe doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons. There are certain doctrinal beliefs that are not of the Lord that will be demonically inspired. So when he says in verse 1, Beloved, church, do not believe what you believe because there's a spirit behind what we believe. Verse 1, again, he says, But instead test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Test the spirits because they, to see if, whether they are from God. That word test is really the idea of discerning. Remember, what is discernment? It is the ability to tell the truth from the lie, good from evil, right from wrong. John, when he says in verse 1, test the spirits, would have known the importance of testing the spirits. He would have known that some 40 or so years earlier, then when he's writing 1 John, which was written around maybe 90 AD-ish, somewhere around there, he would have known about the region. Remember, he's writing to uh, the church at Ephesus. Ephesus is located in modern-day Turkey. Above Ephesus, to the north, is the Galatian region. That's where Galatians is written to. And Galatians was, uh, I think, might have been, I think it's pretty much the earliest epistle written in the New Testament. It was written in um, the 40s AD. So maybe about 40 plus years earlier, the epistle of Galatians was written, and it was written to combat the Judaizers. The Judaizers were false teachers. They were people who said, hey, if you want to be a Christian, you got to get circumcised as well. Uh, Paul wrote Galatians to say, no, that's false. These are false teachings. If anyone believes that you have to do a work on top of faith to be saved, let them be anathema or damned. John, when he's writing this, tests the spirits, would have known in the Galatian region to the north of where Ephesus is, even 40, 45 years earlier, of that the Galatian churches needed to test the spirits of the Judaizers that were coming into the Galatian church. He would have known that. John, when he says test the spirits, um, would have also known about the 
false teachers that were at Ephesus. He would have known that there was the beginnings of Gnosticism that was happening as he's writing 1 John. As he's writing 1 John against the Gnostics who arose in full power in the 2nd century. John, again, 1 John was written about 90 AD. He was seeing the beginning of the Gnostic heresy, which basically said that uh, what you do in your material body doesn't matter. So if you sin, you sin. It doesn't matter because the only thing that's real is the spirit world that you can't see or don't know. We have the answer to that, so don't listen to your Bible. Test the spirits. John would have known the importance of this. Uh, you see this even outside of 1 John, the importance of discernment, discernment, testing the spirits. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, there will be false teachers, false prophets that come to you as wolves in sheep's clothing. Don't trust everyone who teaches in the church. Some of those people who are held up as pastors, evangelists, etc. Just because they have that title doesn't mean that they're of God. Jesus says that there will come people into the church uh, that will try and lead people astray. There'll be wolves in sheep's clothing in the Sermon on the Mount. Luke, uh, he records that when Paul went to start the church at Berea, which is uh, uh, basically in Greece, in Acts 17, the Berean church was listening to Paul in the synagogue. It says in Acts 17. And what were they doing? They were checking the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was teaching was in accordance with their scriptures. That's discernment. What I'm teaching you, you should be discerning what I'm teaching you. Is Pastor Chris teaching us something that's consistent with what I myself am reading in the Bible? I just had an email correspondence with someone recently this week. And they're saying, what about this? What about that? And it really got me to think. I got, you know, I got to think about this. How has um, people interpreted this thing throughout church history? And what is the purpose, the theological purpose of this thing? And it was good because that person was showing me this past week that they're discerning. And I like that. Paul talked about discernment to the Thessalonian church. He said in 1 Thessalonians that we are to test all teachings holding on to the good teaching, abstaining from everything that's bad in teaching. He wrote that to the Thessalonians. Paul said to the Corinthian church, he said, when two or three of you stand up to speak in church, you must weigh what is being said. What does he mean, weigh what's being said? That means weigh it against scripture. That's discernment. The writer of Hebrews, he said to the Jewish believers, he said that discernment is developed through the constant practice of being able to distinguish what is good versus evil. If you want discernment as a Christian, if you want to be able to tell what teaching is coming from the Lord and what's not, you're not going to get it from the world. You're not. And you can pray for it, but really the emphasis in scripture is discernment is developed as you know the word of God, as you apply the word of God in your life, and as you check whatever teaching you're listening to on YouTube against the scriptures. Discernment is developed uh, when you come into a community of faith. And again, you're not a church attender. You're not a church tourist. 
but you're actually part of an actual community of faith. You know them, they know you, you're doing life together, you're serving one another, and you get around people in church that are what? Discerning. And how are they discerning? It's because you look for people in the church and say, okay, who is it that's applying a knowledge of what's good versus evil? Let me get around them. And they apply it through knowing the word of God and you grow in discernment. So you grow in discernment through knowing the word, you grow in discernment through applying the word, you grow in discernment through being around people who know and apply the word. And you cannot grow in Christian maturity. There will be a cap you're a Christian mature. Oh, you can be a very loving person, very generous person, but there's a lot of loving, generous pe- people in the church that are not discerning. And all of a sudden, they get led astray. They're reading these books that are from questionable authors, or like, you know, that man I was telling you about who um, went to that conference. And, um, you know, you can acquire a lot of knowledge, but lack discernment. And if you have the Spirit of God in you, the Spirit of truth, when someone speaks truth into your life and says, hey, brother, hey, sister, I love you. And, you know, I, I think you're to be commended that you have a zealousness to your faith. You want to learn. You're passionate. Hey, that's all commendable, brother and sister. But, but, you may not realize that the book that you're reading is, has occultic sources. Okay, I just had a conversation recently with someone about that. I mean, uh, came to mind. They, they were reading this Christian book. They thought it was Christian. And I told them, hey, I don't know if you realize this, but um, it's, it's well known that the person who wrote that Christian book said in their own introduction to the first edition of that book that the way they got the inspiration for that book that so many Christians are embracing is they had two witnesses come to them while they were praying, saying, take this and put down these words in the Lord's name. That's a cultic, to speak on behalf of the Lord. So John says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Again, verse 1, for many prophets, false prophets, have gone out into the world. Still on verse 1. False prophets have gone out into the world. Again, John would have known about the Judaizers to the north, those false prophets. He would have known about the Gnostics. He would have even known about the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans, we don't know a lot about them in Scripture. But we do know that there was these false teachers called the Nicolaitans. We know this from Revelation chapter 2, where um, Jesus commends the Ephesian church in Revelation 2. And he says, um, even though, you know, well, he didn't commend them for this. Your love has grown cold towards me. But he commended them that the Ephesian church in Revelation 2 had not bowed their knees to the Nicolaitans. They rejected their teachings. And he connected the teachings of the Nicolaitans at Ephesus to those teachers that, um, who said uh, you can eat food sacrificed to idols and you can have free reign on your sexuality. The Nicolaitan teachings. And the church at Ephesus, I rejected it in part, I think, because of John's epistle here. 
Uh, church history tells us that the Nicolaitans might have come from Nicholas. He was um, one of the original, I guess, deacons in Acts chapter 6. Uh, we don't know this for a fact, but uh, church fathers like Irenaeus said that uh, that man that was mentioned in Acts chapter 6 uh, kind of left the faith, and he started this uh, spurious faith, which the followers were called Nicolaitans, that is condemned in Romans chapter 2. So John would have known this. He would have known that there's false prophets who have gone into the world, Judaizers, Nicolaitans, Gnostics. And he says, look, um, you got to have discernment between the spirits. Now, this is especially important today in our post-Christian context. Because what you're going to find in the future, increasingly, unfortunately, in the church, is this. You're going to find too many professing believers, and they're going to be deceived. They're going to be deceived by false teachers outside the church. They're going to be deceived by false teachers inside the church. You guys should never be at a church, by the way that does not teach about the danger of false teachers. There are churches that never, I know of churches that never teach about the danger of false teachers. And why? It's because they're a false teaching church. And they'd be condemning themselves. And they don't want their people to have biblical discernment. They want their people to be deceived. You're going to find too many Christians deceived in the future. You're going to find Christians whose love has grown cold toward the Lord. You're going to find Christians who are preyed upon um, and really suffer spiritually because they're not discerning. But that's not going to be you guys. And that's not going to be this church. But that you will find that increasingly in the future, unfortunately. And so... He says in verse 2, by this we know the Spirit of God. He says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. Verse 2. Let's stop there. If you want to know if the Spirit is from God, if you want to know if the teaching, the Spirit behind the teaching and the teaching is from God, does the teaching confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Remember, as John's writing this, He's writing this against the Gnostics who were starting to rise that said Jesus did not come in the flesh. That whole thing of Jesus coming into the world, that's an illusion. Don't believe that. Okay, because, because the material world is not real and only the spirit world is real. Jesus' whole thing on the cross was not real, so don't believe the lie. So G John is saying, no, Jesus has come in the flesh. That is a counter to the Gnostic heresy of the time. And by the way, what would be the modern-day equivalent of Gnosticism. What would be the 21st century practical outworking of 2nd century Gnosticism today? Answer. It would be the role of Eastern mysticism outside the Christian faith and even inside the Christian faith. That's Gnost Gnosticism basically said this. Don't worry about a savior that came in the flesh. You don't need that. That's not important. Gnosticism would say, don't worry about the word of God. This is not the final, this is not God's revelation. It's just a book. Gnosticism would say, you don't need this. What you need is just 
to meditate. What you need is to just listen to our teachings. You know, I, um, I told my kids that they could watch Star Wars, the movies, when they could explain to me the worldview behind Star Wars. And I wasn't going to let them watch it until they could articulate how the Force was different than Christianity. And when they could, you know, we don't watch all the horror, horror kind of scenes with the Emperor. We, we skip over those parts. Um, I don't even watch those parts. But um, there's, there is a scene in um, Rise of Skywalker. The Rise of Skywalker, which is the, no, um, no, no, it's, it's the, the eighth one. What's the eighth one? It's uh, Last Jedi, Last Jedi. So if you haven't seen this, close your ears. There's a scene in there where, um, you know, Luke's on this island, and, um, and Yoda's there, and he kind of appears, and uh, Luke goes to destroy, like, the old Jedi temple, right, with all the Jedi writings. You guys know this scene, right? And then all of a sudden, Luke's, uh, Yoda's holographic image appears. And uh, Yoda ends up actually sending a lightning bolt to destroy the temple, right? And Luke's like, what are you doing? I wasn't going to, you know, you told me not to do it, and you just destroyed all the writings. They're gone forever. And Yoda, with the flames in the background, turns to Luke. And he says, you don't, you don't need those books. You know, the truth is inside of you. All you need, you already have. And I didn't even notice this, but Darcy pointed this out to me. I go, look at that scene. Whether they did that intentionally or it just happened, the truth came out. That, this is what Darcy said. She goes, look at Yoda. He's saying to Luke, you don't need a text for your religion. The truth that you have is solely through your meditative activities and the truth is already inside of you, the force. And as Yoda's saying that, the flames are going up behind him. She goes, that is coming from hell. And I said, you know what, Darcy, that is discernment. Because what you're showing is that is the metaphor for Gnosticism today. What Gnosticism, 21st century Gnosticism says, you don't need a text for your religion. All you need is what's inside of you. And so John's warning to us is tremendously relevant. What John says in 1 John 1, we go back in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, this was John's testimony. He said, look, I, we know the Spirit of God. We have confessed Jesus has come in the flesh, in verse 2 in our passage. And if you go back to 1 John chapter 1, he says, Uh, verse 1 through 3, he goes, look, guys, we have heard Jesus. We have seen Jesus. We have touched Jesus. We have seen God manifest through Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God, is the Father. He has come in the flesh. We have heard him. We have seen him. We have touched him. We have seen him manifest. He's come in the flesh, and we confess that Jesus has come. John's testimony to us is that when Jesus has come in the flesh, he was and is God incarnate. He was God incarnate. He was not a prophet. He was not a moral teacher. 
He was both, but he was fundamentally God. And so John says in verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Conversely, to every spirit that does confess Jesus is coming in the flesh, he says, other spirits that are not of God, that are of the Antichrist, do not confess Jesus as God. There are many Antichrists that have come and have come into the world already. If you go back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, he's reiterating what he's already warned us. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, John said earlier, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Skip down to verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. John is reminding us that any teaching, remember, there's a spirit behind the teaching. Test the spirits. Do not believe every spirit, verse 1 in our passage. There's a spirit behind every teaching, and we are to test that with discernment. John is saying that when you test certain beliefs, spiritual beliefs, and you find them to be contrary to Scripture, what you are dealing with in that belief system is a belief system that is being inspired by the demonic. A belief system that is being inspired by the Antichrist. Whether it's an Antichrist that has come before or the final Antichrist. I cannot emphasize how important this is. If you're a Christian and you're dabbling with Buddhism... You're dabbling with the new age. You're dabbling with human potential, positivity thinking, law of attraction. And you're saying, well, what the hey, Pastor Chris, what does it hurt? What, why? I mean, if it makes me feel better, if I have a greater sense of wellness and health, if, I, if I, it helps me to have a sense of peace, if it helps me to love other people, why shouldn't I integrate Buddhism, the New Age, positivity thinking, law of attraction, human potential? Why shouldn't I integrate that into my Christian faith if it helps me, if I feel healthier? Why? And John would say this. He said, if you are living your life and committing yourself to believing a belief system that is not holding up Christ at the center, the true Christ, what you are doing is you are allowing belief systems into your mind that are demonically inspired, that are not coming from God. No matter how much better they make you feel in your health or your mental state, they're coming from the spirit of the Antichrist. This is no joke. It really is not. Okay, because undiscerning Christians 
will be rampant throughout the church in the 21st century that will say, if it's pragmatically, if I pragmatically discern it's okay, then what's wrong with it? And your job and my job, and really what John is saying to us is like, no, you have to get to the very center and declare that and believe that, that what is actually happening here is not God has given all this truth everywhere outside the Christian faith so that we can cherry pick from all these things and kind of throw it into our belief blender, blend it up and drink it, that Kool-Aid. He's saying, no, we should be doing the opposite. What we should be doing is not throwing every belief system into the blender and saying it makes me feel healthy. What we should be doing as Christians is we should test the spirits and reject anything that is not in line with the Bible, that does not have Christ at the center, and recognize that as a threat, as a threat and demonic. John, I love that about John. He does not mince words. And so he says this in verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. That means little children believers. You are from God as believers. And you have overcome who? You have overcome the false teachers. Verse 4 again. For he who is in you, who is that? That's Christ coming to you through the Holy Spirit is greater than he who is in the world. Who is the he that is in the world? The he that is in the world, Paul talked about this he in Ephesians chapter 2. He said, the spirit of the age, Satan. He goes on to say in First John chapter 5, verse 19, when he says that in our past, in our verse, he that is in you that is greater than he that is in the world. He that is in the world, if you go to First John chapter 5, verse 19, he says, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of who? The evil one. Just to clarify what John is saying in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, he that is in the world, he says it again in 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, he that is in the world is the power, is the one who is the evil one, that's Satan. But we are not to fear that because that he that is within us is greater. John's message to us is that we are children of God. John's message to us is that we have the authority of Jesus. John's message to us is that we have the spirit of God empowering us. John's message to us is that we have the word of God to guide us. We are God's, Jesus's, the spirits with the word. And that is the power to overcome. And that comes to us through he that is within us, Jesus Christ, that is in the world. If you don't have Jesus in your life, you don't overcome the world. What you are is you're a pawn of Satan. What you are is you are a person who gets tossed to and fro by every wind of cunning doctrine, Ephesians chapter 4. What you are is a double-minded man, James chapter 5, who kind of goes back and forth in terms of what they believe and what they say. But he that is within us is greater than he that is in the world. And chap verse 5, they are from the world, 
That's the false teachers. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. First part of verse six. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. In verse five, in the first part of verse six, John says that, you know what? The people who are from the world listen to the world. And the people who are from God listen to the people of God. It's very simple. And so if you want to know who's from the world, who's from an unbelieving world, and who's under the sway of the false teachers inspired by the demonic realm of the Antichrist, and if you want to know who is from the kingdom of God and is a believer and is in, has the spirit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit living inside of them, then what you do in verse 5 and verse 6, he says, who's listening to the world? Because they're of the world. The reason why false teachers are so popular with the world, more so than Christian teachers, is because false teachers of the world, whether they're outside in the world or they've crept into the church, tell the world what the world wants to hear. And that's why the world listens to them. Your message as a Christian is countercultural. It is countercultural. That is why. The world does not like your message. If you are preaching a message and you are out there and you're saying, my goal as a teacher is to have everyone love me, is to have everyone walk away. Now, I'm talking about a teacher to unbelievers, right? If your goal and you're preaching the true gospel and you're preaching it to unbelievers and they're all telling you, oh, great message, loved it but they're not coming to faith and they just simply like it, you're not preaching the true gospel because the world should hate it. The world should hate your message and the only people out of the world that should like your message are those who come to faith. Otherwise, we are ashamed of the gospel. We remove the offense of the gospel and uh, we don't want that to happen. Doesn't mean you gotta be obnoxious. Doesn't mean you gotta be a hateful Christian. Doesn't mean you gotta be out there with signs and a bullhorn. What it does mean is you can't remove the offense of the gospel. And so John says, true believers were drawn. We know who God, who belongs to God because God, John says, listens to us. Verse six again, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. That's it. That's my discernment. That's your discernment. If you want to know who's from God, speak the words of God. What are the words of God? The word of God. You just see who responds. True believers will respond to the word of God. They may not live it out perfectly all the time, but they'll receive it. False believers will not. And lastly for today, the second part of verse 6, he says, By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That's what discernment is. We know the spirit of truth and we know the spirit of error. Do you know that? Are you able to discern not just what the truth is, but to 
remember there is a spirit behind the truth coming from God. Are you able to tell what is error and to remember that that error behind it, there's a spirit, a dark spirit. Every time you read a book, you go to a seminar, you listen to someone on a video, and maybe they're teaching something that's like a skill, how to cook. You know, that's not really a spirit of truth or error, not really. Not what John's talking about. But when they're teaching you something about what to believe, about human origins, what to believe about the meaning of life, what to believe about um, the destiny of human beings, what to believe about the truth. Those kinds of, of teachings are the spirit of truth or error. And when it comes to those kinds of things that have to do with where we came from, what we're supposed to be doing here, where we're headed, what changes our character, when it comes to that, you're listening to either the spirit of truth or the spirit of error. And you should be looking and saying, what I'm reading, what I'm listening to on YouTube, what I'm listening to from that speaker, that's true, that's false. That's truth, that's error. And in your mind, you should be doing that. Every time I read a book, okay, I'm going through that, whether it's from a Christian author or not, I'm saying that's true, that's not. That's true, that's not. And I'm discerning it. And that's what God wants for you. You may not be popular if you become a discerning Christian, but you will be Christ-like. Let's pray together. Father, as we um, close our time together, um, thank you, Lord. Thank you for renewing our minds with your truth. Thank you for reminding us that behind everything that we believe about spiritual things, there is a spirit. And um, I pray that we would be more committed to growing in Christ-likeness than we are with being popular, more committed to growing with true biblical discernment that comes from the Holy Spirit of truth and God's word, more committed to that, Lord, than the errors and spirit of error of the world. And um, I know that, Lord, you're looking for, for, for churches in our time that will show discernment, godly, loving, biblical discernment. May that be the case here at City Bible Church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go ahead and stand, and we'll close in worship.